quick update June 2020 for this podcast episode. I don't normally put disclaimers, but there's been a lot of attention coming to this post from people on the internet. I, I'm happy that there's podcast listeners that enjoy this show and that use this uh, to connect with other experts. I'm just going to say, please do your due diligence whenever you choose to buy a course or buy any kind of service from anybody on the internet. Of course, I'm, I appreciate you trust me. I would just say, always do your due diligence. We are not compensated for any of these podcasts and there is no affiliate commission on this project. This was not even mentioned in the show. That's all I'm going to say. I wish everybody the best in their business and their life and their success. I'm Mike Michelini. I'm here to help you learn and make a successful business uh, totally free uh, on this show. Thank you. Bye. Episode 290 of the Global From Asia podcast. It's got a good one talking about dropship empires. Let's do it. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Okay, thank you everybody for choosing to download and listen to the Global From Asia podcast. We're always keeping things real here. And I, yeah, survived the volcano. Actually, I recorded today's interview like the first day I arrived in the volcano before the volcano came it was a it was a great one we have kevin jong or zhang he has his americanized family name i'm i'm in china so i know it's at least i know how to at least i pronounce it jong but known as zhang in the west and he is really uh amazing guy i i had the pleasure to see one of his presentations at the a affiliate world asia in december of 2019 so Luckily, Zach Benson, also a mutual friend, connected us. He was also on the podcast. We had the pleasure to get him onto the show and talk about his whole dropship story, how he started getting into the e-commerce game. We share some war stories about, you know, these platforms sometimes locking people out, best practices. It's it's a really, a really amazing one, and uh, I'm really happy to have him share with us. It was it was a longer one, too. I mean, we, we really went into the deep, deep dive. So I hope you um, will appreciate this one. I'm pretty sure you're going to enjoy it. Episode 290 of the Global From Asia podcast. Let's tune in with Kevin. So you enjoy these Global From Asia podcasts, you want to meet other listeners that are crazy like you and me that are doing business, cross-border business and e-commerce between Asia and China and other parts of the world. It's a niche community and we want to get good people like you that are listening together. Cross-Border Summit 5th Annual, November 19th and 20th in Chiang Mai, Thailand. We're moving out of China this year, I know, I know. My wife's not happy about it, but... We are doing it, and it's going to happen. We have amazing speakers already getting put together, amazing sponsors coming back, and more new ones, and attendees ready and willing to come. I'm really, really excited about this one. I mean, we're putting everything at it. It's still 10 months away, but we have been working hard on it already for a month or two. Venue's getting locked in, and I'd love to see you there. Crossbordersummit.com slash Thailand. See you November 19th and 20th, 2020. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Global From Asia podcast. I'm really excited about today's show. I was at my uh, hanging out at the Affiliate World 
Asia conference earlier in December of 2019, and and I happened to get to participate or, or, or see Kevin Jong speak about his journey making you know dropship websites and the future of dropshipping and e-commerce and his empire and uh, and it was really a really a uh, fascinating to me and just really happy to have you on the show Kevin thanks for coming on hey Michael well it's uh, great to be here and uh, thank you so much for the kind words and uh, for all everyone that's listening out there I'm here to provide you guys as much value as possible and I know Michael is definitely an authority um, I'm very very well versed in the space so I think we're about to have a really excellent discussion yeah, for sure, man. I mean, I feel uh, I feel you've been through some similar journeys for sure from from your talk, and so I think uh, maybe we'll start at just the beginning of your you were in college and you were, you know, hustling with Facebook ads and drop shipping. Do you want to just you know share how you uh, how you got going? Yeah, definitely. We'd love to share the origin story. So I started dropshipping. So my background is kind of non-conventional in this sort of digital entrepreneur space, right? Like a lot of people I've met, they're either, you know, high school dropouts or college dropouts. I actually was on a very, very institutional path. I uh, grew up in a family of Chinese immigrants. Uh, They weren't always very financially secure. So, you know, grew up growing up, uh, we kind of struggled financially throughout as, you know, a lot of immigrant families will and so I was really instilled by my parents throughout my life of chasing something that was stable right they taught me a really really solid work ethic and also they taught me that if you really want your goals to come true you have to sort of um, you know treat every single day like it's do or die or else you just won't survive right and that's kind of the mentality I've taken throughout my life and everything I've done but I was on a very traditional path as you can imagine, your classic Asian immigrant parents. Yeah. Would so I went to Vanderbilt University, which was a great school that I was fortunate enough to, to go to. And the moment I went on campus, I was thinking a very conventional career, right? Like I was planning on becoming a management consultant, uh, which if you don't know what that is, it's basically uh, someone that big companies would hire to help solve their business problems. And I was working very, very hard throughout college, you know, getting good grades, good extracurriculars, um, going to the right internships, I was thinking through, you know, either consulting or finance, which is what most most people from my university end up pursuing. And upon senior year, I actually got a really, really good job with the consulting firm called McKinsey and Company, and they're basically the world's like number one consulting firm. And I was going to get paid six figures right out of college. You know, my parents were super proud of me, and I was I was feeling awesome on top of the world, right? Like, wow. This is what I worked four years to get, and now my life is about to be amazing. Crazy thing is, entering my senior year of college, so how this sort of corporate job recruiting works is you kind of do an internship the mm-hmm. summer before your last year in college, yeah. and that internship like turns into a job offer uh, You know, if you're competent and you don't mess up. So I had this job offer coming in, and most people in, in that position kind of feel like they're on top of the world, um, you know, they they have that money they save from the summer and they're kind of blowing it on, you know, going out with their friends, having a bunch of fun, et cetera. That's like the classic mentality, right? You want to just have all your fun out of the way before you sell your soul to Wall Street or uh, the rest of corporate America, right? Um, and I came in and I was actually in a pretty serious relationship with uh, with a girl, which I didn't plan on, but she ended up going abroad that second semester of my senior year and I was just really, really bored. 
because I structured my last semester of college originally planning to have a lot of fun, party a lot. So it like, wasn't that many class hours. I wasn't taking that many hard classes. But now it's just like I, I, I had all this time. And for whatever reason, I'm just the type of person that's wired where like I need to be productive doing something or else I'll go insane, right? And I don't know if you feel that way as well, but yeah. I think people in this space are workaholics, right? It's like yeah. you have to be doing something, you have to be leveling up, or you, you kind of just, you feel like you're stuck. And I actually felt for the first time since I was a freshman in college that I wasn't very excited about what was awaiting me after college, right? Like I, I, I essentially got probably like, one of the best jobs you can get out of college, but it just didn't excite me, right? It, it actually kind of scared me that it was one of those places where I could predict it's like environment where you go in, you know, you do this, then you go to business school, then you do that, and then you try to make partner. And by the time you make partner, you know, you're, you're going to be a millionaire and you're going to live a very comfortable life. But I was like, wow, you know, like, is this really what I want to do? Like just sign away my time for the next 10, 12 years and then like by the time I'm 30 or 40, I'll finally make it big. And it kind of just scared me. So I was like, okay, I have all this time. I have this money I saved from my internship, which was $3,000 at the time. And originally I was going to use it to travel Asia uh, before I went to go work my job, right? Which is like a very classic thing for college students to do. And I, I just kind of made a kind of bold decision. I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm going to risk this $3,000 and learn something or, or try to do something um, that, that maybe can give me an alternative to sort of this corporate path. And if, if I get some messages that, you know, this isn't sort of what I'm destined to do, I'll go work my job and I'll be very fulfilled. And this was when I first started drop shipping, right? Um, so this was January, 2018, but I was drop shipping kind of part time. Like I was still a student. I still had my on-campus commitments. You know, I was like involved in a lot of different organizations. Obviously, there's that social life component. So it was kind of like I was spending two, four hours a day just learning dropshipping through YouTube videos and just like kind of trying it out, right? And, and it was something that was very fascinating. It, it took me around, I would say, 100 to 200 hours um, to finally, like a month, to finally build out um, like my first store that I was proud of, right? Like from the lens of a consumer, I saw this website and I could say, hey, this isn't the scammiest thing in the world. And that's when I started running ads. And I remember, this is January, right? I remember by March, there was a crazy day that happened, which was this business that I was kind of hustling on and didn't even know much Facebook ads on. Like I was doing my own Photoshop work. I was taking calls literally on my phone with customers and emails. It, it was all fascinating. Like I loved it, especially when sales started rolling through. In March, there was a day where I hit $6,000 in sales. I didn't make much money on that $6,000 because my margins were terrible and my ad buying was terrible, but it kind of just triggered the spark in my brain of, oh my God, me as someone with no experience, right, in, in my like underwear in this dorm room with this <laughs> dorm Wi-Fi, just built a business that if you annualize today, it's a $2 million business, right? And that really just slapped me across the face as like, this isn't just a hustle. I stumbled upon a phenomenon, right? And simultaneously going on was like, you know, I saw all these e-commerce success stories like Dollar Shave Club, 
you know, you had all birds, Kylie cosmetics. And I was like, wow, I basically found kind of like a hustling, you know, broke path into this global revolution that's taking place before my eyes, which is this e-commerce revolution. So at that moment I was like, okay, there's no way I'm going to do my job now. I really need to make this work. And then fast forward again, in May, I'll actually reveal it. I was, I was selling like uh, RC vehicles, right? That was my niche that was kind of working. Okay. And uh, by May, from January to May, I probably made around like $20,000, $25,000 in profit, right? So it was, it was a lot of money for me from someone that was a broke college kid. And in May, something crazy happened, which was I graduated college. So I kind of had to make a big decision now about my future, right? Like mm -hmm. I... I this is a common courtesy now. I have to tell my employer I'm not going to go work for them if I don't want to work over with them. And simultaneously, which is such bad luck, the there was a mass shooting in the United States, and they started regulating lipo batteries. Oh. So now you can't deliver products with lipo batteries to customers because it's a terrorism threat, right? You can rig those batteries, become explosives. Got it. So the dr this like RC drone industry got completely regulated, and I couldn't send products anymore. But I was still getting a bunch of returns. And now I had all this like inventory from returns in my dorm that I couldn't clear. Like, you know, I couldn't have a garage sale at, on campus and like sell <laughs> all these drones and these like race cars, right? So I actually lost a bunch of money. And in May, I basically ended up breaking even overall from January to May. So it's like I made a net zero, zero dollars. And I made this irrational decision at the time of I'm gonna quit my job, right? Like, this was so fun. And I was doing this part time. I want to see what I can do 24 seven um, and give myself a year. Like I'm going to go back to my parents' basement. I'm going to work hard for a year and see where it takes me. If I, you know, I mess up after a year, I can't get anything to go. Then I'm going to go work a job. And I know entrepreneurship, e-commerce was never for me. If I get any traction, then this is what I'm going to do. Fast forward into July, right? I lost additional $3,000 just on like failed concepts, right? Like failed niches, mm -hmm. uh, still trying to get the hang of ad manager. I was still doing everything myself. Um, so now in July, I had $3,000 in credit card debt, right? Um, and now it was like crazy. It's like from January until now, I lost a total of $6,000 from start, right? Like this is life telling you, you suck at what you're trying to do. Like you should quit at this point. This is kind of like my 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 final push right like I was so broke I was asking friends from college um, for money in return for equity on sites and looking in hindsight I was I was basically like committing fraud almost because I was like over promising completely you know I was like yeah I'll show you these sales figures you know like look at this all these sales and they're like whoa okay and that's actually how I got connected with my business partner he was a friend of mine in college and I was like okay you know he gave me two thousand dollars in investment and we were like okay I'm gonna start making these sites again, and this is like, okay, if this runs out, and I have this credit card debt, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna beg um, my my employer to give me my job back, right? Okay. And this is probably like the darkest part of this whole experience. Like, you know, my my Chinese parents were like always hounding at me. Like at dinner, there was just silence, and you could feel the tension of like, you know, we didn't raise you and send you to such an expensive school for you to screw around, right? Um, and it was just like a really, really tough period. Like I was barely sleeping. I was so stressed. But I, I just like I knew every single day 
the next day was the day I was going to make it, right? Like I was getting closer and closer with Facebook ad manager. Um, my, my partner started doing a lot of the creative work, but it's like we were getting closer and closer to making websites that were looking better and better and better. And uh, our ads were looking better and better and better. And the CTR was increasing and like we would have some profitable days. And then bam, I remember this day like so vividly. On August, we started a dropshipping business in the men's apparel and accessory space. By August 12, 2018, 11 days after starting that particular site, and we've already failed three sites at this point before that one, that site in 11 days hit $20,000 a day in sales, and the rest is history. So by August 2019, you know, a year from, I guess, that official start date of August 2018 when I started working with my business partner, we did $20 million in sales in our first year. We've sold our products to over 250,000 customers around the world. Uh, we have now, you know, as of August 2019, now, you know, like in this present moment, we have over 60 employees that we're employing, all working remotely. You know, we have facilities within our network in China and uh, Singapore and the Philippines, all doing different functions. And we, we truly built kind of this like drop shipping machine, right? Or empire, as you called it. Like it's, it's, it's super awesome. We have this awesome team around me now and it's, now, now we're thinking about issues on a whole different level. Now it's like, you know, we did $20 million in year one. Our goal is like $30 million in year two. And hopefully by end of 2021, becoming a nine-figure business, right? So that's kind of my story from when I started all the way until now. And I think because of the way I started, because I was broke and I didn't know about all these gurus and all these people out there. And I'm really blessed that I didn't because there's so many scammers and there's space. I kind of had to learn everything the hard way, but also the right way. By losing money and failing so many times, you actually start realizing what you're doing. And I think because I wasn't brainwashed on how to drop ship, it really gave me unique mentality and approach to this business model that's made me accelerate, scale a lot faster than most, and also build something that's actually sustainable You know, in this environment of feedback scores, payment processors, um, and, and all this stuff with consumers also smartening up, right? Like I, I actually am really thankful about this journey and I think because of my unique story, it also lets me bring a very fresh um, and kind of unique take on the world of e-commerce and dropshipping, um, hopefully for your viewers. Yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, there's so much you to go on from this. I think, I mean, I'm like how you're just open that, you know, you, you fail a lot of people, especially gurus, they, they, you know, they hit it right on the first shot and it's so easy just pick a product on aliexpress do some keyword research you know make a nice site put a plug in you know oberlo shopify and you you know you're making money but uh, like you just said that you gotta you gotta keep refining and failing and and developing that is any i mean i think that's always a top question though is how do you choose this niche i mean it seems like you did a good job you know but you went through a few sites i mean is there anything you could Obviously, that's a huge topic and a course by itself yeah. is product selection. But uh, anything you can think yeah. of that, that finally yeah. helped you hit it? So um, the, the first thing I want to clarify for everyone is just I view dropshipping as like the two most popular models right now are, are ones I completely disagree with. But they're kind of like the general store approach One of, is one of them, which is like, you know, you have a bunch of random products on a store and you're, you're running traffic to the product page. You're trying to find a viral product. And uh, when you do find a viral product, you scale it. When that dies, hopefully you found another viral product. That's like a general store, right? Yeah, yeah. There's another approach which is a lot more 
professional, a lot cleaner. Uh, it's called the single product store approach, right? And obviously, it's it's kind of similar to general store, except now every, all the marketing and the web design is focused around one product. So it looks a lot less scammy. It looks, looks a lot more professional, kind of like a Kickstarter um, kind of feel, right? But I actually don't like either of these business models, right? Um, I think general stores are kind of just dead at this point because there's no incentive to build infrastructure and it's just way too scammy where consumers are a lot more clever. And I think single product stores, then you, you can't really differentiate that much because all your sales are coming from like one product, right? And and this is this is me knowing there are very successful single product dropshippers. So I'm not trying to throw any shade. Personally, I just, when I learned about those models, I was like, ah, I'm not going to do this. What I do is branded niche dropshipping. So what we do is we create a niche that's kind of everything is themed, right? So an example of a niche would be like, uh, let's say outerwear, right? If you're in the outerwear niche, you know, you're selling winter jackets, gloves, hats, vests, etc., right? Like boots, maybe like, you know, you're, you're building kind of a, a niche business where it's not all your sales resting on one product. And my goal with website design and Shopify design is when a customer comes onto one of my dropshipping stores, they can't even tell it's a dropshipping store. Like if I make a prep uh, store, you know, it's going to look like Polo Ralph Lauren or it's going to look like Brooks Brothers, right? If I make a, um, you know, like a, a decor store, you know, it's going to look like Bed Bath & Beyond's, you know, it's going to look very, very professional and, and very clean, right? So that's kind of the dropshipping business model I operate on. And this way, not all of your sales depend on one product. You have a lot more versatility and differentiate yourself from a feel, right? The customers come onto my websites and they kind of have an experience, you know, like the, the banners from the logo to the category photos to our product photos to even the creatives. It's all kind of a, a feel that they're experiencing in the same way that when they go onto the North Face, right? They also get a feel, right? Um, so in my opinion, niche selection is actually kind of overrated. Like I think too much attention and time is spent on all these analytical tools and all these crazy things where you're trying to pick the right niche. But I actually kind of have a counter um, thesis to this, which is even if you and someone are in the same niche or selling the same products, execution is actually everything, right? Because just because you and I, let's say we both decide to sell, um, let's just say we both decide to make a shoe store, right? How we design that shoe store the type of messaging we have on that shoe store, how we describe the shoes within that store, you know, what we decide to do with the images in that shoe store, maybe we even go the, the extra mile of photographing, you know, photographing our own product pictures and, and et cetera, like how the creatives we make for that shoe store, the offers we run for that shoe store, those are all massive, massive variables that are different, right? So. Just because I decide to make a shoe store and you decide to make a shoe store doesn't mean at all we're going to get anywhere close to similar results, right? Because the execution is going to be so, so, so different. And I actually think this is my criteria for, for picking a niche, right? Number one, I think people should have an interest in the niche that they're about to make, meaning you know, it's going to take a long, long, long time before you have team members and this massive infrastructure that I have now. In the beginning, it's going to take a long time to build a really, really nice website and a website that you believe in because you're building a brand essentially. 
It's just that the brand is composed of dropship products. But other than that, it's the same as building any other sort of brand, right? So having an interest is really important because it's going to be really, really hard work. It's not an easy process. And the more passionate you are about the type of products you're selling, you know, the more willingness you're going to go the extra mile of getting that conversion rate up, getting better creatives and making this thing work. Number two, uh, the second criteria is to make sure that when you go on AliExpress and you take a look at the cost of the products on there, that you can sell at a competitive cost. Like your cost as a dropshipping business should be lower than institutional competitors, right? Like if I'm selling baseball caps, I should make sure that whatever AliExpress's cost is, plus that shipping cost, you know, multiplied, I like to do 2.5 to three times, right? That's kind of the margins I like to operate on. Like that price I'm charging has to be much lower than an institutional competitor or else why would anyone ever buy baseball caps from me instead of a place like Lids, right? Um, and then the third criteria um, that I give uh, with sort of this branded niche dropshipping approach and, and you know, like, uh, and finding these products is basically making sure that the products are actually available on AliExpress so you can actually find multiple collections um, within that store. And then you can also fill those collections, you know, with, let's say, at least 10 products per collection. So if I choose outerwear as a niche, I need to make sure that AliExpress actually has enough products to supply for gloves and also jackets and also vests and also pants, right? But outside of those metrics, like, there's, there's no other ones I really use. And I, I've tried so many analytical tools like Google Trends and things like that, and it's just, it's false precision, right? And I've seen niches work um, in very, very competitive spaces. Like, I've made athleisure work, for example, and I would say athleisure is probably one of the most competitive spaces, period, even outside the world of dropshipping, right? Mm -hmm. And then I've had, like, very, very analytical, kind of finding crazy um, slices of the market. Like, I, I tried modest clothing, which is kind of like conservative clothing that, you know, very religious women will wear. Um, and that was all based on niche analytics, Google Trends, all this forecasting, and that absolutely bombed, right? Um, so I haven't found any traction with this kind of niche analysis stuff. I really think it's like, okay, you find a niche you're interested in, you think the products can be priced at a competitive price point um, compared to institutional um, competitors, you found a good supply of products um, on, on, on this particular niche, and you just kind of have to roll with it and really try to make it work and try to execute the right way because I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's execution that differentiates you. And that's kind of the difference between a branded niche approach and this general store single product approach where you kind of aren't differentiating, you're kind of product driven, right? In a branded niche approach, you're not product driven. You are kind of brand driven. Like you're not trying to find a viral product. You're trying to find a viral brand, right? Like, I have a men's apparel and accessories dropshipping business where it's very, very provocative. Like, you know, the messaging is geared towards like very masculine, um, almost like, like, like Southern, uh, you know, kind of like misogynistic. Like they love seeing really hot girls and <laughs> love messaging um, of like, you know, like be a man, this kind of stuff, right? And that brand, branded niche dropshipping store is selling a lot of men's products that you see all over AliExpress and you see other people trying to sell all the time, but 
they just they can't provide that feel, right? And that feel is the reason why my dropshipping products sell. And that's also why I'm not on this kind of like endless rat race, continuous path of always looking for new products. I'm not. When I build one of my sites and it starts getting great numbers and it's profitable, it lasts forever. Like my first profitable business I told you about that, that blew up in August 12, 2018, that is still around today and it's still doing tens of thousand dollars in sales a day, right? And on Black Friday, it did $120,000 in sales on Black Friday. So over a year, it's still churning and I haven't changed anything on that website since. Like that's just the example of why I love the approach I took to dropshipping compared to a lot of the other ones out there. Agreed, man. I think you and I have similar similar thinking. I like, you know, I guess a couple of takeaways summarizes. Yeah, I think you have to kind of enjoy the product and then have an angle for the product line, right? Like the target market, you know, and not just a product, right? But who you're selling to and how you're selling it was a couple of my big takeaways from what you, you you're explaining. And and evergreen, right? You can call it evergreen. You're trying not to find these fidget spinners or whatever you know you're trying to find something that has a, a long-term uh demand with a steady supply with the and, and your site is selling multiple products right like you know if you start an outerwear store sure maybe one particular winter jacket is selling better than the others but it's overall kind of spread out you know it's not like as concentrated on one skew that determines your business right and i think that's a big source of stability and it's also like how you execute the niche is so important. So instead of like, let, let's say you make a, sh a sneaker store, a sneaker dropshipping store, and you're going for a very like footlocker vibe and that doesn't work, instead of scrapping it, what you can do is completely rebrand and now go for kind of like a, a urban, you know, streetwear sneaker vibe, right? Or maybe if that doesn't work, you could try another sneaker vibe of, okay, we're gonna do like artisan, kind of like very unique, crazy design sneakers. Or, or maybe another one is kind of like a, a massive discount one, right? Like we're going to go for like a Payless shoe store, massive discounts, like shoe um, emporium type of vibe. Like these are all different ways to execute and that impacts your website, impacts your creatives, impacts your, your targeting and impacts your uh, messaging at the ad copy and product page level where it's like, you know, that's why I, I always tell people like there's no such thing as looking for the perfect niche because you can make your niche the perfect niche by figuring out what the perfect way of pushing that niche is, right? Totally, totally agree. And um, yeah, so if you have a good product, yeah, like you could target different, yeah, just to reiterate, it's true, you can you can leverage that with multiple stores and multiple, yeah, multiple positionings, exactly like what you said. This has been fascinating so far, man. Thanks for sharing so much. I think you said, you, yeah, of course, like a lot of times you got to hustle, you got to do everything yourself. You learn ad manager, you were grinding, you're parents basements and things like that and, but you did mention it. uh later of course you have a team now pretty impressive i'd love to hear also a little bit of a recap of some of the structure but you said it was like your first hire i think she's even still with you you know i, I also have some long-term team members now six years going um so i'd love to hear you know some of the structure and uh, the you know building that team which i think is probably really you must say is probably critical right for the long-term scalability yeah, so I actually think a lot of the other players, right? Like, I don't think I make the best creatives in the world because you have very expensive agencies that can make great creatives, right? And you have great people that know Photoshop. I don't think I'm the best person at ad strategy. I think I'm pretty 
damn good, right? But I wouldn't say like I'm the best, right? I go on to these communities that I'm part of in Facebook and I know people that are like wizards with the algorithm, right? Like they know every little thing about it. Uh, you know, one of my friends like Neil Patel, for example, great authority in the space, like he is a wizard with Facebook ads. Like he can tell you everything about the algorithm, everything. I'm not that level. But what was able to give me these these sort of crazy first year results and, and growing so fast and, and moving forward, you know, even growing even faster is exactly that. It's infrastructure. And I think that's something that digital entrepreneurs kind of neglect because everything seems so make believe, right? It's kind of like, you know, you have a virtual storefront, you have virtual customers, you have VAs, and then you have yourself. So it's very easy to kind of approach this business in a sense of like, okay, I'm the driver. These guys are kind of just like tools and I just need to kind of like drive everything. And, and I think how I describe that is like, that's kind of the hustle mentality. What I try to bring to the table is you have to hustle in the beginning. Everyone does, right? You have to do everything. You have to wear a lot of hats, but a critical point in your experience as a digital entrepreneur and especially in e-commerce is when you go from being a hustler to an actual business owner. And what businesses do and what they hang their hat on is infrastructure, right? Like you, you think about the biggest Fortune 500 companies, it's not like the CEO does everything, right? The CEO sets vision and sets priorities and makes sure things are moving along. But what really what's, what's generating those billions and billions of dollars in revenue, it's like this massive infrastructure, this massive machine that's full of all these cogs, right? So that's what I try to build. And that's what I approach this business with from the very beginning, and I think that set myself apart from a lot of people that kind of like just are hustlers, right? And my my kind of obsession, and what I do very well is I'm obsessed with freeing up my own time. So I, I love automating, right? And I kind of have three rules of automation. Number one, it's I first have to understand something before I try to automate it, right? So I have to have had experience in it or done research in it. So customer support is a good example. I had to respond to a bunch of emails in the beginning to try to understand my customer, try to understand the rate you should be responding emails um, at and to try to understand you know, what are things that works with customers before I decided to offload that into someone else. My criteria too is um, you have to be able to determine metrics of what good automation means and bad automation means, right? Which means you know you have a you have a good understanding of what good and bad is, so you can actually evaluate the team members you choose to actually automate that process. And then finally, is you should automate everything in your life that you don't think is something you do that generates the most value with your time. So even if you do a particular task within your business very very well. It doesn't mean that you should do it if someone else can do it 90% well and in the time that you've saved, you can do something else. So that's kind of the principles I took it with. And yeah, like you said, I started out, earliest things to automate was like customer support, right? And and this this lady that um, I was doing customer support with, you know, I was literally like training her, literally like how to respond to customers, like even like how to speak English in some points of time. <laughs> Like, you know, how to like deal with angry people, how to deal with like a, the Better Business Bureau, you know, how to deal with all these crazy situations. And, you know, in the process, we were kind of figuring it out together. But what I look for when I hire even VAs is I actually look for like an entrepreneurial or ownership minded mentality, right? Like 
it, there's a big difference in someone that is like, okay, you tell me what to do and I can do it versus someone that's like, okay, you tell me what I do, but when I get stuck, I'm going to try to find the right answer. I'm going to try to implement that right answer and then update you later. I would much rather have that second person, even if they mess up, like, you know, they deal with an angry customer and they deal with it in a completely wrong way, but they had the courage to actually go and do that. That speaks volumes to me because I think of that person as being a problem solver. And this lady is exactly that, right? So she started off answering emails, like making $4 an hour or $5 an hour, whatever like that standard Upwork VA rate yeah, is. Yeah. Now you fast forward throughout time, you know, now she's managing all of my customer support on this massive business. She has like 20 employees and like an office in the Philippines. And she's very much like, you know, she's now like a big member of the organization. And, and you know, she's making a, a really, really good income for herself. And that's just like, I think, goes back to the, the principle of you want to hire and you want to train slowly, right? You want to find the right people and you want to really take the time and resource to invest in them. And you want to fire quickly. And if they let you down and, and you get glimpses of their, they're not the person you're looking for, you got to move on. And it, it took me to cycle around multiple candidates. Do you want even your initial employees to eventually mature into managers? So now, even the hiring process is something I've automated, right? So tying back to this infrastructure, it's like, okay, we've automated our business to the point where it's kind of like clockwork, you know? It's like, okay, we come up with a concept, you know, it's like our team is doing research on potential good niches and good products, right? And we come up with which niche you want to go for. Then we have a team that can actually go ahead and source those products. After those products are sourced, we have a team that can go ahead and give those products titles and give them descriptions, right? Americans that are doing this, right? And now after these, these products are described and titled, we have a graphics team that can go in there and clean up the AliExpress images, right? Remove Chinese text, remove Chinese uh, logos, like remove anything that, that makes it a little sketchy, put everything on a uniform white background, even Photoshop some graphics on top if we have to emphasize certain features. And then we have another team that can kind of build a website and build multiple iterations of it. And um, now it's like, okay, bam, it's kind of gone through this assembly line all I have to do now is just launch ads and all my business partner has to do is like make the creatives, right? Those are kind of two things that we are still very indexed on because we, we've realized that's a worthy part of our time. But, you know, we have the capability of building very, very professional, like crisp, high conviction, branded niche websites in the course of like one week, right? So if you think about it, we can launch like four different sites with a lot of products that are very high conviction each month. And if we have a success rate, and I can tell you my historical success rates around, you know, one out of five stores, uh, one out of six stores, uh, I would say in historically is around one out of five stores will succeed. So every single month, you know, we're launching four stores or five stores, we only need to get one success. And that success will scale up to a seven-figure, eight-figure e-commerce business, right? And every single time we, we lose or we fail one of these niches, you know, we lose like $2,000, $3,000. But every time we succeed, it turns into now a massive, massive stream of income, right? A massive stream of revenue into our business. So that's kind of the benefit of 
building out infrastructure is it took me a very, very long time to do this, but it's paid a lot of dividends. And to highlight this, just like how different my mentality is with so many people in the space is, you know, from August 2018 to December 2018, we probably did around $5 million in sales, right? That's a lot of, that's a lot of revenue. And guess how much money I actually personally took home. I only personally took home $35,000. And a big part of that is because we spent so much resources and time and effort, right? Especially resources building out infrastructure. Yeah. I actually ended up acquiring my eight, my AliExpress agent that was basically supplying all my products. So now that's how I inherited sort of this team in China that's now leading all my procurement, a lot of my product research, you know, my fulfillment sort of um, and logistics processes, right? And now, you know, from August 2018 to December 2018, we did five million. Then from January all the way until the following August, right, a year, like the second half of that year, we did $15 million in revenue because we spent from August to December really just building out this team and this infrastructure. And we're still building out infrastructure, you know, like we are never stopping building out infrastructure. Like recently, we just onboarded someone that's kind of going to be managing and leading our entry into foreign markets, right? Like developing countries, which is a big opportunity, by the way, like leading the translating of stores, leading the research into looking for payment processors in those domestic markets and making it work that way. You know, like this is someone's job now. Now this is something I don't have to think about. So at the end of each day, what do I get? I get updates from my higher level managers and they tell me like, hey, this is what's going on. And really what I'm looking for is like, is there anything messed up? Is there anything I have to engage on? If not, I don't even have to worry about this core business that is growing and growing and growing, right? And what this structure really replicates or kind of alludes to is your classic Fortune 500 company structure, right? And I think when you take these core business principles that everyone else in the world is applying and you take it into a space like digital entrepreneurship where things are moving so fast, you mix those things together, you get some really, really, really magical results. And we've kind of created this dropshipping machine, if you will. That's really exciting, man. <laughs> I think one point, I remember you talking, and nobody likes chargebacks, and I, you had to better business. You mentioned a little bit with your, your VA helping out, but I'm just curious to structure or, you know, even just the risk. You know, I think that's one of the big fears in, of dropshipping is, is these chargebacks or uh, – or shipping issues. I'd love to hear. I know you had this really funny kind of story where your uh, your strategies. I'm not sure what you're willing or how you want to share that, but I don't know about you. I'll admit it. I've gotten shut down on PayPal. I've I've gotten shut down on uh, on different uh, payment processors. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll say it, but uh, there must be some some kind of chaos there. I hope unless you know there must be. I, I also had I've, – I've had sites shut down by Facebook. I'll be very transparent. I've had problems with, uh, you know, chargebacks before. I actually got kicked off the payment processor. I got kicked off PayPal before. You know, like terrible ter – by the way, for everyone that's listening and you're dropshipping, like don't use PayPal. <laughs> I hate PayPal. Yeah. I'm going to go on air right now and say PayPal is a scammy organization. Yeah, they rip, they're not so, a bank so they can steal your money basically. Exactly. I don't like them at all. Um, so, you know, in terms of chargebacks and this, this uh, dropshipping thing, I completely agree. And I, I think that's why the general store and single product store methods are kind of dying 
because in those methods, you don't have an incentive to build infrastructure, right? Like when your products are gonna go viral and then die anyways, why would you invest money into faster logistics or invest time and energy into negotiating with your supplier for branded products, packaging, et cetera? So what, what I sort of teach, and I have an e-commerce education group, what I sort of teach people to do in there is exactly what I did. We leverage AliExpress dropshipping in the beginning as kind of a test of concept, right? Like you are, your goal in the beginning is to scale, but you're, you're scaling very consciously and proactively, which means as you're scaling and you're worried about selling and selling and selling, the one thing that everyone can do right off the bat is offer good customer support and offer lenient customer uh, support policy, right? You'll, you'll be surprised how many dropshippers like don't even give refunds, don't give free exchanges, and like have 12 hour, like 20 hour, 30 hour response times on email. It's like, you know, regardless of your product quality, those three things are already screwing you over, right? So right off the bat, if you just are lenient with customer support, even though it cuts into your bottom line, that is a big thing for sustainability, right? Number two, if you're responding to emails and you're actually nice and you're very customer oriented, right, and you're giving good response times, like I have four to six hour customer support response times, you know, and, and that's what makes people happy. And I offer customer support via email and also my Facebook page, right, through Zendesk. It's all like integrated ticketing. Like that is already gonna go a long way in terms of your feedback score and also your chargebacks. Furthermore, something you can do right off the bat is you can install sort of chargeback management, right? There's services like Chargeback 911. Um, that's the one that I use. There's a bunch of them out there, but they will actually claw back 20 to 30% of your chargebacks by giving customers an automatic refund. So there you go. Your chargebacks are reduced by another 20, 30%. And then as you are scaling, the moment you hit higher and higher numbers, what happens is you're also in the process consolidating the agents you're working with on AliExpress. In the beginning, you're kind of sourcing randomly. You have like hundreds of people you're working with, but as it progresses, you know, and, and you and you start off by your best selling products. You engage that agent. You're like, hey, I'm also selling all of these other products. You know, these agents basically aren't factories, right? They can actually technically supply any product under the sun. What you see on AliExpress suppliers, these suppliers are actually just people with facilities that buy from factories and they're kind of the middlemen between you and the factories, right? They're kind of a fulfillment house that's buying from factories. So a, a, an agent that you're doing a large volume with and now you can move all your other products with them too is now gonna be really, really receptive to whatever you have to propose because what AliExpress agents want more than anything else is they actually want stability. Because if you think about it from the agent's perspective, it really sucks for them that dropshippers come, buy a lot of their stuff, and then die like within two weeks or a month, right? Like they hate that because they are the ones taking inventory risk. If someone's selling some viral product and they decide on their end, okay, I'm gonna stock up a lot of this product because this guy's going hard, right? Then they all of a sudden get kicked off of Facebook or they get banned from the payment processor. This agent just got left with a bunch of inventory they can't sell, right? So an agent wants stability, you want stability, it's actually kind of a perfect fit. So once you start consolidating your suppliers and you're starting doing high volume, I would say if you're doing 50 orders a day or at least like, or $3,000 a day or more in revenue, suppliers are already gonna listen to you and what you can ask them at this point is like, hey, can we talk about branding our, my products, right? Like 
you know, if it's clothing items, can we put a tag on them? Um, you know, can we kind of like standardize shipping the next time you order from the factory? Can we get custom packaging done? Um, you know, can we get faster logistics? E-packet is a terrible shipping option. <laughs> you have to use it in the beginning, right? You have to. You have to use it in the beginning. But whenever you can, you have to be proactive and negotiate with your supplier, even if it means you paying a few dollars more for another shipping method, right? So the shipping methods I use, right, gets me to the United States in 10 days. And it gets me to continental Europe in five to 10 days, even faster. It gets me to Australia in 12 days, Canada in 12 days, and all the other countries that I sell in in 14 days or else I don't even sell in them. So that's what you do. So it's kind of like tying this full circle. Yeah, there's a lot of risk with dropshipping. What do they say? They're like, oh, dropshipping is dead. It's not dead. It's just dead if you're doing it in a bad way. And I actually, I like it when Facebook kicks these people off, when merchant processors kick them off, because they are actually making e-commerce overall a much better place. So then for the people that are proactive and are doing their homework and are purposeful in delivering value, mm -hmm. delivering good customer support, and always kind of in the stage where my CPMs went down, right? after that day, literally like a day after. Yeah, I remember. It was dramatically down and my return on ad spend rose up and it's like, hell yeah, right? I just got rewarded for doing something I didn't really have to do in that environment, but guess what? I always knew, I always had the foresight that this was gonna happen because it's, it makes sense, right? The one thing you learn, the one thing I've learned in this world is that there's no such thing as a free lunch, right? Like, if there is a business model out there that is ruining people's – like making people angry, making payment processors angry, and just like kind of making everyone angry. There's no way the world would allow it to continue. Like there's going to be an end of the tunnel eventually, right? So all these scammy info products that are out there, we saw for the first time recently like the FTC cracked down on one of the biggest Amazon core sellers out there, right? And there's like the first time the FTC was like going after a fake guru, which is crazy. But – <laughs> this is the same thing as dropshipping, right? It's like if you piss people off a bunch, you are going to get cut eventually or else what kind of world do we live in, right? Like there are so many players that are trying to get you out of the marketplace because you should be out of the marketplace. So yeah, in the beginning when you start dropshipping, you're going to piss some people off. But all a customer, angry customer ever really wants is just for you to refund them and reply in a timely manner. And in fact – we actually negotiate with our customers. We'll say things like, okay, how about we refund you 30% and you keep the products and they're usually pretty happy. And that plus chargeback management and, and lenient returns policy, consistent customer support emails, that is already things fully in your control before you have a team around you. And then the moment you can, you start making money, you start scaling, you wanna put that money back in your business and to start developing infrastructure because there's no, like your niche, there's nothing wrong with your niche. There's just only something wrong with your business practices. The moment you fix your business practices, which you can once you scale and have capital, right, then your niche is evergreen. Then it's a, it's a money-making machine, right? Because in a world where customers did like your products, now your business is gonna last forever. And that's kind of what we've created with the infrastructure that we've built, right? Um, and that's, that's the type of dropshipping that I teach, and that's the type of dropshipping that's only relevant to this branded niche approach. Yeah, I love it, man. I mean, I yeah, I think we're on similar wavelengths. I mean, it's, there's people that will come and go, right? And there's trends that will come and go. But I think what you're 
Yeah, what you've been sharing today is uh, is is exactly what people should be thinking. It's not even really called dropship. You're just really it's e-commerce. You're just selling a good product, and you're trying your best to deliver the best customer experience, right? And that's that's really what it boils down to. Whether you, you could wholesale this, you could you could uh, you know you could do anything you wanted, really, right? If you want to stop dropshipping it, if you wanted, right? It's not about the the dropship model. You're just delivering a good customer experience, both. You know, from the ad ex- ads to the conversion to the you know after after sales support. I mean, that's and that's what's uh, that's what's helping you succeed. Yeah, and it's like I, when I tell this story, people probably visualize like, oh my gosh, Kevin is some genius that kind of just did everything the right way. It's like not at all. Like I got screwed so many times and burned so many times. So it's a learning experience, right? Like I learned after I got my first ad account banned, right? Then it's yeah, like yeah. I learned. My first run in with the BBB and it's yeah. like, okay, I learned after a, a payment processor literally kicked us off their platform and we almost went bankrupt. They held $380,000 for 180 days and we were at the point where literally like my business partner and I were like about to pawn our personal belongings to try to keep our business afloat because we started to pay the cost, right? And we still pay the advertising costs and the product costs. We weren't getting any money and that was just like, that, that was like a wake up call. And, and I think like what, what blows my mind about the dropshipping space is like how many people get banned off Facebook and get banned off their payment processor and their first instinctual response is like, okay, I'm gonna try to figure out a way to keep doing what I'm doing and just not <laughs> It's like, wh- why is that your first response? Why is your response not, I'm gonna try to fix the reasons why I got banned because sure, the second part seems like it's the thing is like the second part is even harder than the first i would say the first part is harder right it's like hopping from ad account to ad account to ad account and like getting yeah. paying other people to use their personal facebooks and creating this elaborate system of like this craziness is like that's exhausting dude you know exactly. it's like that's, that's nuts right it's so much easier to be like hey supplier how much do I have to pay to get some faster logistics? Or oftentimes, if you talk to them and it's like, hey, supplier, how do I get better quality products the next time you go to the factory? Hey, you know, what I did it was like, hey, if I go out and buy some jackets from, you know, a, a store, like a, like a legitimate brand, like a legitimate store, retail store that's selling kind of the same type of products, you know, if I buy you these products in all US sizes, can you use these as the molds for the next time you go to the factory and order the next round of inventory? And the supplier's like, yeah. You know, it's like sizing doesn't make my cost more expensive. It just makes things more accurate. And all of a sudden it's like, bam, I solved my sizing issue, which is a massive issue with obviously AliExpress, right? So there's these things that you just have to be proactive doing. And um, my my overall advice for everyone that's listening is when the e-commerce world gives you a sign that you fucked up or you messed up, right? Like you messed up and to keep messing up and just trying to evade is never the right response. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, you have to adapt. I mean, you're not going to, we can try to not use PayPal. Sometimes that's hard, but try, yeah, I try, but uh, yeah, you kind of got to use the Google and the Facebooks of the world. So you, you know, you can't really beat them. You know, you can't keep making new accounts and exactly. trying to your, your old broken ways. So yeah, you have to adapt and, uh, and make it work long term. Because it's only going to get more intense. Like we saw feedback get more and more strict over time, right? And payment processors, like Shopify payments used to not care at all. Like they, they built their business around dropshipping, right? 
um, like they, they, they own Oberlo. And we saw for the first time this past year, Shopify payments and Stripe, you know, said like they're not working with bad dropshippers anymore, which is kind of groundbreaking news because they built their business almost working with bad dropshippers, right? So the tides are all pointing in one direction and it's going to happen no matter what. So it's really up to, you know, everyone if they want to adapt and if they don't want to adapt, they're going to die. And, you know, the more people that die and are irresponsible, like the lower my CPMs are going to be and the better my business does, right? So... Agreed, man. This has been fascinating, man. I really appreciate you sharing so openly. I think maybe we can get you back on if there's an opportunity because it's so it's been really fun. I've had a great time, but I think we got to wrap up for today. Um, what's I'm sure people might want to find you or what you're doing online. Is there websites or Facebooks or what's the best place to send people? Yeah, definitely. So uh, the the first thing is there's my personal Instagram that has links to sort of everything. So you can follow me on Instagram at Kevin Zhang official. So that's K-E-V-I-N-Z-H-A-N-G official. Um, find me on Instagram. And then, you know, through Instagram, you'll find links to, I have a YouTube channel that I recently started. Uh, I'm sure if you looked up Kevin Zhang e-commerce, you'd find it as well. Where I'm basically, I'm actually giving out a free dropshipping course via YouTube. And I'm releasing a video every single two days. And this started three days ago. So now there's four days ago. So now there's two videos up. I'm releasing a new educational video every single two days because this is kind of a, a year for me where I made a determination where I want to change uh, the world of e-commerce education and at least put some of these scammers nice. uh, and these uh, fake gurus out of business by providing a lot of high quality content. Um, so there's that. And then I have my own education group on Facebook called Generation E and it's free to join. I do a live call every single weekend. And it's just literally, you hop on the live call, you can ask me any single question. Again, I'm trying to give value back to everyone because like e-commerce has completely changed my life and I'll just give my final sort of words to everyone that's listening. If you're listening to this and you're kind of like struggling a little bit or you feel a little stuck or you know, you're kind of indecisive or you feel like your business is not growing as fast as it could be, just like, man, just, just, just really take in this crazy world that we live in. Like we live in this digital world where crazy, crazy things are happening that never could happen 20 years ago. Like, you know, uh, I'm gonna use Allbirds as an example. They reached from zero to $2 billion in valuation. Zero to two billion, right, in two years, right? And this is the e-commerce business. They went from zero to two billion in two years. This just has never happened 30, 40, 20, even 10 years ago, right? And we're, we're living in this, awesome awesome world full of opportunities especially in e-commerce especially in drop shipping as well and just like i don't know just like just just harness this energy and keep pressing forward because i've certainly hit my fair share of failures and i would say even today i fail a lot more than i succeed and like i told you guys only 20 percent of my drop shipping niches end up working out but that doesn't sway me so until you've built out five stores and they've all failed, like there's no excuse to even consider quitting. And with that, I'll, uh, I'll, uh, you know, I'll thank you for having me on the podcast and really appreciate sharing these insights. And I hope all the listeners found a lot of value out of this. Yeah, definitely is valuable, man. Thanks so much, Kevin. And awesome, Michael. You have a great uh, rest of your day. You too. Thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. And we have a membership, gfavip.com mentioned it over the years and we've been upgrading we have an amazing new forum it's a new and improved forum we 
Oh man, the old one was hard to maintain, honestly. But we have courses and we have members calls, we have masterminds, we have private community events. If you're interested in getting the inside of what's happening here at Global From Asia, if you really enjoy what you're listening to and you want to hang out with some crazy people like us, get discounts to the Cross Border Summit and more, check it out at gfavip.com. Also, we have a new keyword name. If you're in the inside, you might see it. Check it out. Thank you, Kevin, for sharing. I'm sure listeners got a lot of value out of that one. And uh, I really, I mean, it's what it's all about, sharing and putting things forward. And I, I hope you all are enjoying these these shows. So we are just rocking ahead, getting closer and closer to episode 300. have so many amazing shows already recorded. So many more guests to get onto the show lined up. I hope everybody uh, likes these. We, you know, we do have a little bit of a wide range. Of course, we do shows like with Kevin with e-commerce and various um, ways of selling online. And of course, we have the ones like my Uncle Gary talking about some kind of radical or crazy ideas to give you some inputs and insights on that. And, you know, corporate structure, international business, and of course, some stories. And we still bump into China and I'm trying to get more into Southeast Asia too. Actually, I just spoke in uh, UP Diliman campus in Quezon City. Thursday the 23rd of 2020, January, where uh, we talk about China sourcing and all the Philippines e-commerce businesses are interested to expand there. And I'm really exhausted, but but also, you know, we're doing amazing things with Alpha Rocks, just closed around and working hard there. I'm working hard on just building up a, building up a legacy, you know, life is life is short. And uh, I hope everybody had a good Chinese New Year or are in the middle of Chinese New Year now. So I hope that is uh, going as planned and everybody is enjoying that. So we are just pushing forward and making things happen. I'm, I'm really exhausted. I just spoke planning more events, working so hard on Cross Border Summit. I mean, it's not until November, but so much work to do already planning it. So we are um, we are full steam ahead here if you're on a gfa vip membership make sure you check out the new and upgraded forum forum uh, at gfavip.com and uh, get some inside info about what's happening in the community and some uh, more private things Uh, we're really trying to add value to those that want to even do more for us and get even more value Uh, i'd love to work with some of you more gfa vip um, but I really have a pounding headache, and it's been intense, intense couple of weeks here in Manila. Thriller in Manila. So thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on and sharing. We're trying our best to build an amazing community here in the Philippines and online around the world, helping people make a better life for themselves if they want to just get, get down to business and get things done. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.